0: Welcome to Recover Strong, a podcast that will transform your recovery from an eating disorder by helping you go from theory to practice to mastery. This is your special time to learn new skills, tools, and get the inspiration you need to recover strong. Let's get started.
1: Good morning, warriors. Time to start your day.
0: doing? Welcome to this podcast. My name is Jessica Flint. I'm the founder and CEO of Recovery Warriors, a multimedia resource hub for all things related to eating disorder recovery. I personally recovered from an eating disorder and I'm here to inspire you to do the same. I believe recovery is not only possible, but it's worth it. That is why Recover Strong exists, to help you see and connect to the potential that lies within you to find freedom from an eating disorder. Today, we have something special for you. This is our very first Five Things Friday. Now, this is a new format we are rolling out to give you more recovery wisdom in less time. More recovery wisdom in less time. Every Friday, you are going to learn about five things related to recovery, whether that is five ways to avoid a binge episode, five lies the eating disorder tells you, five tips to manage anxiety, or today's topic of five things to focus on in the recovery process. Now, what makes this show extra special and unlike anything out there is that it weaves together multiple perspectives and voices from the Recovery Warriors community. Now, I will be the narrator guiding you from one learning point to the next with the support of our community members' wisdom. And in the future, you have the chance at being a featured voice on Five Things Friday. Now, today we are talking about five things to focus on in the recovery process. Now, process by definition means continuous and regular series of actions meant to accomplish some result. Okay, so a process is a continuous and regular series of actions meant to accomplish some result. And as you know here on Recover Strong, we are all about helping you go from eating disorder recovery theory to practice to mastery, and that takes action. So let's dive into five things you want to focus on to have a strong recovery. Number one, permission. Permission is vital to get to a place where you can enjoy food and exercise in a non-obsessive and controlling way in your life. Now, it's important to give yourself permission to break the eating disorder's rules. The more you allow yourself to experience things, to have things, to try things, the more you'll allow yourself to step into recovered life. Certified Eating Disorder Registered Dietitian and Recovery Warrior Tammy Beasley finds it's essential to talk about permission when looking at your food choices. So let's listen to what she has to say about permission and food choices, or as she likes to call it, fuel choices.
2: Permission is really huge, so giving yourself permission to be curious. How do different fuel combinations feel? So different fuel combinations are going to feel different. Sometimes you're going to feel like the energy lasted longer than another time. Sometimes you're going to feel perhaps more emotional satisfaction from a meal, energy level changes, just all kinds of different things. And it's just important to have permission to experiment, to be curious. Permission requires curiosity, and curiosity keeps leading us down new paths. There's our new path in our brain. That's our rewiring. So if we can bring curiosity in, not judgment, but just curiosity, knowing there's no right or wrong, it's just a learning experience, new paths can be found in that way. So learning to choose our fuel combinations through being curious. Like I really want um, pasta with – tomato sauce and garlic bread and I don't really want a salad today and being curious like how did that feel? Then the next time I want pasta and I'm going to have some meatballs or some salmon with that. I might have a salad with it too. How does that feel? So just whole, no, no judgment. Both are just neutral places to be curious and to see how long did my energy last there? Was I more emotionally satisfied there or balanced or or not, and and all of this back and forth. It really neutralizes the shame around our fuel choices. I love how she connects
0: permission with having curiosity and experimenting with different fuel combinations. Curiosity helps you move forward in recovery when you give yourself permission to break away from old patterns, beliefs, and rules. And as you get further down the recovery process, you'll see that permission is about much, much more than your food choices. As Brandilyn Tebow, transformational coach and author of The Achievement Trap, explores here. It's really just coming to understand that what we actually
1: want is not to lose the weight is not to make more money, is not to have more followers, is not to get the promotion, is not to be more popular. That's not what we really want. What we want is to give ourselves permission to be the fullest expression of ourselves, to be the most loving, confident, self-expressed, authentic, truthful, honest, connected. That's what we want. And that's available to us in every single moment. And we have to start with
0: being that permission granted to be your authentic self.
1: It requires being willing to feel disappointment, being willing to feel sadness, being willing to feel rejection. If you're not willing to feel all of that, then you also are killing off the joy and the connection and the inspiration and the abundance and the creativity and the playfulness and all that good stuff as well.
0: Permission to feel and to heal. Now let's move on to our second thing to focus on in the recovery process. Number two, forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is essential to healing, and it's a layered process. And just like peeling back the layers of an onion, you will most likely cry when you expose old hurts, losses, and resentments. Now, you know the phrase, harbor resentment? For example, she harbors a deep resentment against her parents for her miserable childhood, or he still harbored resentment toward her for breaking his heart, even though it was five years ago. Now this word harbor got me thinking of this idea of a ship being attached to an anchor and it's stuck, right? It really can't change its position. It's unable to change its position. And we too can get stuck in the past when we harbor these resentments and we hold on to them. And this holds us back from living in the present and being fully free in the future. Brandon Tebow transformational coach and author of the achievement trap has an interesting way of looking at the past and forgiveness.
1: I I like to say the past repeats itself until it completes itself. So if you, if the, your original wound was a wolf coming to bite you, well, guess what? If you don't treat that wound, then wolves are just going to keep coming because they're going to smell the wound and keep coming. So the reason we can look at it from a perspective of like, well, that sucks. That the past repeats itself until it completes itself. Like, oh, I hate that. Or we can look at it from the perspective of, well, of course it does, because the universe wants us to learn these lessons, and we're all here on a spiritual journey to become more of who we most want to be and become more love. So, of course, if there's this lesson that I haven't learned, if there's this thing that I haven't forgiven, then it's going to keep coming back to me because it's like, okay, I'm here to give you an opportunity to get to be forgiving. You get to experience yourself as forgiving. Our souls are going to get to learn this lesson that our souls really want to learn. So when we look at it like that, then there's no room for victim mentality.
0: Forgiveness is a spiritual act that happens deep within the soul. Forgiveness of others who let you down and forgiveness of self, letting your own self down. Living with an eating disorder can lead to a loss of integrity on so many levels. Because it really violates one's own internal value system and leads to disconnection. Now, I needed to forgive myself for stealing binge food from the grocery store and from my roommates, uh, for purging in my friends' bathrooms and public bathrooms. I needed to forgive myself for all those times I couldn't focus at family engagements because I cared more about what was in the food and when I was going to get an opportunity to exercise. I needed to forgive myself for all the friendships I turned down or didn't nurture because I didn't want to go out and eat calories or drink calories. And you likely have done things that you want forgiveness around that maybe you're ashamed of. And this reconciliation is part of the recovery process. Now, this is where the practice of self-compassion comes in immensely, which brings us to our third thing to focus on in the eating disorder recovery process. Number three, self-compassion. You can think about self-compassion as the building blocks to self-love. People who struggle with eating disorders typically are really compassionate people, but they forget that they are people too. Meaning that the same compassion they give to others has to be extended inward. Now the simplest way to describe self-compassion is to imagine how would you treat a dear, dear friend when they are in a moment of suffering? The idea is that you can apply the same warmth, generosity, care, concern, and nurturance you'd give to a friend to yourself. Let's hear what self-compassion expert Dr. Ann Biasetti, author of Befriending Your Body, has to say about someone coming into her office after a rough weekend.
3: When someone comes in, when one of my clients come in and tell me, I just had a really bad weekend, you know, I binged again or I restricted again or whatever it may be, I say to them, well, let's take a look at this now because they're going off on, that was horrible, I wish they didn't do that, you know, now I'm back at square one. And I say, well, we're only back at square one if we stay with these self-critical thoughts. But if we take a look at this and say that, okay, this was an opportunity now And the opportunity is not so much to look back and look at every step you did or you didn't do, but rather the opportunity is, how are you going to meet that moment? And that opportunity is happening right as I sit with the person, right? Because if you're going to meet that moment with, I had a horrible weekend, then unfortunately we're not going to learn anything from it. If we can meet the moment with, let's see what you understood about that. What do you want to do right now that's kinder and gentler? You know, how are you going to pick up that moment and hold it in a different way? And that was probably the biggest piece of the research that uh, really flipped me upside down in in my understanding was, oh, okay, I got it. It wasn't that self-compassion took away all behavior. I mean, that would be miraculous, right? But it was that self-compassion helped each and every person to hold the behavior and themselves in a different way.
0: It's amazing what can happen when you apply self-compassion to ordinary moments of frustration and challenging emotions. Self-compassion allows you to really turn to yourself and say, this is really difficult right now. This is just really hard. This moment isn't easy for me. And you don't even have to try to change it. You just have to acknowledge it and have awareness. Now, I love the analogy Dr. Ambiacetti shares here about awareness and self-compassion. Self-compassion is looked at as the other wing of the bird. So if we think of this beautiful
3: metaphor of the bird, the bird can only fly with two wings, right? So the one wing is mindfulness or awareness of these kinds of thoughts. But the bird still will not be able to fly just by being aware. So we may catch ourselves in the moment and be like, oh gosh, I shouldn't have said that. Um, but then what happens? Okay, so the other wing of the bird is self-compassion, which says something like, I don't look so bad in this. I'm not going to say that to myself. You know. So there's the other wing of the bird. When we have awareness and when we have gentleness to take that awareness in there's where we have
0: the room to fly so the goal is to be aware of the thought without over identifying with the thought and then applying self-compassion to it so it could be something like hey cruel mean thought i'm aware of you and at the same time i'm not all the mean things you say i am we don't practice self-compassion because we feel great We practice it because we are in a moment of suffering. And suffering is part of the human condition. There's nothing wrong with you for having moments of suffering. Now to our fourth thing to focus on in the eating disorder recovery process. Number four, connection. You are not alone in your recovery. There are millions and millions and millions and millions of people who are struggling with an eating disorder. And you don't have to be alone in your recovery. It's a common experience to feel isolated when living with an eating disorder. It's like you're living with this secret that only a very few select people know about, and even then, not always to the full extent. As humans though, we are wired to connect. We heal through connection. That's why it's important to make connection a priority in the recovery process. As Dr. Anita Johnston, author of Eating the Light of
4: the Moon, explains. This is, I think, a really important piece to recognize how disconnection causes pain. So we're all born with two very, very strong drives. One is the drive for attachment and connection. To others because we're not we're not lizards we don't just hatch out of an egg and go on our way right we're mammals we have to attach and connect to our caretakers in order to live but there's another strong drive equally strong and that's the drive for authenticity that comes when you're connected to self your authentic self who you really are and where you're meant to go in this world now when we're, we're growing up these two drives often come into conflict and guess which one wins attachment uh connection it has to because it's our survival depends on this so we're a little kid and we want the cookie i want the cookie and mommy says no we're having dinner in an hour you can't have that cookie i want the cookie if you don't stop that right now you're not going to get any cookies okay i don't want a cookie this is a small example there's many many examples so we can develop though a pattern of abandoning connection to self in order to attach and connect to others. And the problem with that is then when we move into adulthood when we need this connection to self, this authenticity more, but we've gotten in the habit of abandoning it to be like and look like and act like and think like how we imagine others want us to be and act and look and think. There is a pain that is so great from this disconnect from true self, that we'll do anything. We'll do anything with food or drugs or shopping or whatever to distract yourself or to numb or, or whatever. And so it's important with connection to really learn how to connect with another while staying connected to your authentic self. And for me, that's a, that's a critical recovery skill. Um, And I think assertiveness is, is as a communication skill really fuels that so that the connection is both inner and outer.
0: The trick here is to stay connected with others and to your authentic self, inner and outer. Now, to establish outer connections, you can open up to your friends and family members and let them know you need their support and what that could look like. You can work with a professional therapist, dietitian, psychiatrist, medical doctor, coach, or mentor. There are amazing virtual care treatment options out there like Equip Health. You can connect to recovery resources like you are doing right now listening to this episode. And that's why tuning into podcasts on the Recovery Warrior shows like Recover Strong is great for your recovery because you get recovery support from so many perspectives and people the more you connect with people who have done it and know how to do it, the more courage and confidence you will have to do it yourself. Now our conversation on connection would be incomplete if we didn't talk about the challenges and sensitivities it can bring up. For some people in recovery, they feel very supported by their family. And this can be a wonderful thing to lean on their support and commitment to care. Now, if this is you, you may even feel guilty at times and think, gosh, I'm such a burden. Why am I still struggling and not getting better? Like, I wish I could get better faster. I don't want them to keep stressing out and worrying about me. And on the other hand, some people in recovery have unsupportive families. Maybe their own family members struggle with an eating disorder or other mental health issues and are incapable of supporting them because they can't even support themselves. And if this is you, you may feel unloved and think, gosh, they don't even care about me. Like they they don't even care. Like no one cares about me. Now, in this case, I know how hard it can be when the person you want the most in your life to be supportive with you isn't. And if that's your case, please keep going. Don't give up on yourself. In the end, you are the one who gets to take ownership of your recovery. You have the power to recover without having a very supportive family alongside you. However, it's essential to find other people in your life who can be a source of support for you. Now, wherever your family falls on the support spectrum, you may still find that times can and will get turbulent as you start to address buried emotions and work with shifting moods. As Kelly Uchima shared in a recent interview on Recover Strong.
5: Since I started therapy, we had the biggest blow-ups of all time in our family, like screaming matches, not talking for weeks and months at a time, thinking that the relationship's over, thinking that you hate each other. You have to blow up. It's like a volcano. It needs to erupt and actually completely blow the frick up to then settle down and find closeness and flow again. Like, they're all bubbling underneath all this stuff, all these things. And including them, like your parents are just humans. They also have their own struggles. They have their own feelings about you. You got to open up that conversation and heal those things. And it was awful. It was terrible. And I was terrified to finally let out my rage or let out my thoughts about them. But they needed to tell me things too. They needed to hear it. And you have to put effort in. And that's what's scary, too, is people don't want to deal with, like, oh, I don't want to talk about that. Oh, that that puts me in a bad mood. You cannot move forward in a relationship without being able to weather all that storm. And it's like the best thing that's ever happened. But I mean, it's been three years in the process to get to this amazing closeness. And the best part is if anyone ever really wants, like, oh, was it worth it? I'll let you know it's
0: worthwhile. Connection is always worthwhile. We do not become our strongest selves by ourselves. Now for our final thing to focus on in the recovery process. Number five, celebration. Hooray! Nothing is too small to celebrate. Absolutely nothing. You can celebrate listening to this podcast right now. Leading behavioral change researcher out of Stanford, Dr. BJ Fogg, found if you really want to make lasting changes in your life, you need to celebrate habits you want to stick around in your life. It is emotions that create habits, not repetition, not frequency, emotions. Now, Celebration is the best way to use emotions and create a positive feeling that wires in new habits you can adopt a new habit faster and more reliably if you celebrate at three different times. Now, time number one, the moment you remember to do the habit. Time number two, when you're actually doing the habit. And time number three, immediately after completing the habit. Now, in the case of not acting out on a habit, for example, an eating disorder behavior, you can celebrate that you didn't do it right in the moment that you didn't do it, and later in the day when you realize, hey, I had the chance to do it and I didn't. Now don't worry about the future where you fear you will do it again. Let yourself experience the celebration in the moment. Once again, it is our emotions that create habits. So allow yourself to celebrate choosing new ways of being and doing. The only real rule is that it has to be something said or done internally or externally that makes you feel good and creates a feeling of success. It could be a yes, a little internal yes, or saying yes out loud, a fist pump, or a big smile. I personally like to put my hand on my heart and say, I love you. I love you, little Jess. I love you, Jessie. (laughs) Put my hand on my heart and say, I love you, Jessie. (laughs) Give myself a little hand hug on my heart, and it feels so good. So I love doing that. Now, once again, nothing is too small to celebrate. It's actually the little things that you want to celebrate, because that's what's going to give you the confidence and boost your morale to keep going. That's going to be fuel for your spirit. And that's what's going to help you keep chugging along and moving forward. Personally, I love to end each day with a celebration of what went well today. Because in our modern day hustle culture, where there are just like a gazillion things to do, you can go to bed feeling like, gosh, I didn't do enough. There's so much more to do. However, if you you intentionally take time at the end of the day to acknowledge what went well and what you're grateful for, this can be such a powerful way to create more things to celebrate, which gives your life deeper meaning and helps you feel like you have more in your life to live for. It's a positive feedback loop you can get onto. And this brings me to a quote of Oprah's that I love. She said, quote, be thankful for what you have. You'll end up having more. If you concentrate on what you don't have, you will never, ever have enough. End quote. So focus on the good. Celebrate, celebrate, celebrate. These are five things to focus on in the recovery process. Thank you to all of our featured voices, Dr. Anita Johnston, Kelly Uchima, Dr. Ann Sefi Biasetti, Tammy Beasley, and Brandolyn Thibault. You can find more info about each person in the show notes page at recoverywarriors.com or down in the description box for this podcast. To review our five things to focus on in the recovery process. You want to place your focus on the practices of permission, forgiveness, self-compassion, connection, and celebration. Now do a little celebration for making it to the end.